This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. Do you like boats? Do you like big boats? Do you like poor people and the rich people they serve on big boats? Are you always like, what goes on below deck? Hi, this is Anna Hosnier. And Nick Turner. The hosts of Deckheads. And we want to take you on a fun and goofy adventure. In this binge-style podcast, we will watch and recap every episode of Bravo's Below Deck and all of its spinoffs. And we're going to release an episode a day so you can watch along with us and listen to our silly daily recaps. Listen to Deckheads when it drops on February 20th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. Today is part two of our now traditional year end, although this is happening on the beginning of a new year. Yeah. Uh, year end look back at what has been unearthed in the world of history and history knowledge. In the, in the last 12 months or so, uh, we mentioned previously that some of the biggest finds this year have already had their whole own entire episodes of the show back in the archive. Uh, so today we're going to look at some of the other lesser known things. Uh, we've grouped them together into themes. Themes seem to emerge as you, yeah. Anytime we're doing podcast research, yes. things will kind of. The groupings will reveal themselves a little bit. There are some trends here. So we we have these groups together into like themes. We also have some exhumations this year, which are perennial favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at, at the end of this episode, we've got some pretty extreme science responsible for unearthing some pretty cool stuff. Love. So, yes, let's start off with the the maybe I don't want to say the opposite of science because that's not true, but. Things that nature unearthed, unearthed for, for us. Yeah. And I love this first one so much. So uh, in Germany, a badger <laughs> unearthed. I just, I love that sentence. In Germany, a badger unearthed for us a 12th century burial ground. The badger found a sword, bronze bowls, an ornate belt buckle, and skeletal remains. And all of this happened in Stolp in Brandenburg. It helped that two people who lived on the farm are also amateur archaeologists and knew a human pelvic bone when they saw it. So it's not as though the badger went waving it around and saying, hey, you guys, I found this stuff. Um, the people recognized what they were. Yeah, they, they did not mistake it for maybe an animal or. Right. Uh, one of the bodies has been determined to be that of a warrior with several healed injuries that look like battle wounds. Uh, it's estimated that he probably died at around age 40. And uh, this was found last autumn, so in 2012, but it wasn't announced until August of 2013. 
So thank you, Badger, for that great find. Yes. I love everything about that story. Now we're going to thank some dolphins. Hooray! Some dolphins working for the U.S. Navy found a late 19th century Howell torpedo off the coast of Coronado. So it it doesn't really sound all that uh, exciting that a, a torpedo was found in the ocean, except that only 50 of these torpedoes were ever made before they were supplanted by other technologically superior torpedoes. And this is only the second surviving one known to still exist. So significant find on the part of those dolphins. Who were working for the Navy. Uh, this one, not so much an animal helping us. Uh, in Norway, some melting snow in the wake of global warming has actually unearthed a number of artifacts that prior to that had been frozen. Uh, they had been trapped in frozen ground. And this included a bow and arrow that were used to hunt reindeer that are estimated to be about 3,800 years old. Uh, and again, this melting actually happened in 2010 and 2011, but the announcement was made in 2013. Yeah, there are lots and lots and lots of artifacts that are being sort of brought up to the surface as glaciers recede and snows melt and things like that as the temperature of the Earth rises. So uh, it's cool that we're getting to there see are pros some of these and cons there are, to that. Yeah, the, the, it's 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 unfortunate that that what's bringing a lot of this up is the, is the the loss of otherwise frozen animal habitat and climate. In addition to animals who have helpfully discovered things by accident, uh, sometimes on purpose and sometimes by accident, a number of amateurs found cool stuff this year. Yeah, people stumble across things in their day-to-day doings. Yes, sometimes in their hobbies. This first, uh, this first unearthing, um, metal detector enthusiasts in Leicestershire, England, found a 1,700-year-old coffin containing a child's body in October. And it was about four feet underground, but because it was made of lead, they found it very easily with their metal detectors. So uh, there's sort of an ongoing uh, combativeness sometimes between, like, academic archaeologists and anthropologists and metal detector enthusiasts with sort of ongoing questions of, is this a help or a hindrance? Uh, in this case, what the what the uh, metal detector folks did was they immediately contacted professional archaeologists as soon as they realized that they had a potentially important find in front of them. And then they organized a volunteer guard so that it would ma- remain undisturbed until the pros got there. Perfect. This is sort of the ideal situation yeah. uh, of what, when people who want to get out with their metal detectors um, uncover something that may be of importance. Also in October, a high school student unearthed a baby duckbill dinosaur, which would be known as Parasaurolophus, uh, this fossil. And he was on a school-sponsored fossil hunting trip, so success, uh, at Utah's Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. And he basically turned over a stone, and there it was. So an easier find than many other people have had. Uh, it took 1,300 hours of work to excavate it from the rock. And the baby was more than six feet long, so quite large. Yes, I I had originally characterized it in my notes as tiny, but it is only tiny compared to an adult. <laughs> yeah. It is not tiny compared to actual small things. So, in Shajanpur, India, a farmer named Niraj Kumar found 15 ancient arrows and hunting tools while plowing one of his fields. And this find came after his plow got stuck and the animals that were pulling it couldn't move it any farther. Uh, he found arrows and a number of metal hunting tools, 
These actually made their way kind of out into the community before people realized that they were potentially important, and then they were gathered back up again uh, and and handed over to authorities afterward. Hey, Holly, we have some exciting news. Yeah, I am wildly excited, and uh, people will have another opportunity to watch me cry at art. <laughs> yeah, you sounded so calm, and it's not a calm situation at all. Uh, our trip to Paris last year was really successful, so we're doing another similar trip this year, but this time to Rome and Florence. It's May 14th through 21st, 2020, and like last time, it is with a company called Defined Destinations, who is planning out this whole trip for us. Yeah, and during that week-long trip, we are going to see some of the great art that we have talked about on this show many times, including Michelangelo's David. We are going to go to Tuscany. We're going to visit St. Peter's Basilica. We are going to the Sistine Chapel. So it's going to be a fantastic trip. You can get the whole list of places that we are going and information about booking at defineddestinations.com. Scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History Class or come over to our social media. We have posts about it there too. Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors, and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal and they're candid and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and takeaway lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it, and I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking, and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, our next one involves a, an amateur who's a very, very young one. Uh, so Cone Ergel, who is only age seven, found a 20-foot-long dugout canoe while taking a scuba lesson near Oklahoma, Florida. And it's planned to be displayed at the Marion County Museum of History and Archaeology. But as of now, uh, we haven't found out a lot of detail about how old the canoe is or which tribe may have made it. And it actually may take up to two years for it to dry out uh, in a way that won't harm it. Yeah, they have to very, very, very slowly get the... Because it's been, you know, underwater and waterlogged for a really long time. Yeah. They have to extremely slowly get the water out to try to do it without damaging it, uh, without causing it to crack. Yeah, or anything like that. So we may not know much about that for a little while. Yes. That's exciting. Yes. And then he'll be, you know, nine or ten. <laughs> well, and speaking of ten-year-olds, in May, ten-year-old Jack Sinclair dug up a cannonball from a four-bore cannon in his home garden in Southwell, England. And it turns out that this cannonball dates to the English Civil War. And I love this quote from him. He said, I thought it was a stone or a ball of some kind. It was really dirty. But when we got the dirt and mud off, it was a cannonball. I was like, wow, because I had no idea. <laughs> Jack Sinclair, age 10, is charming. Yes. Uh, another 10-year-old found a mummy in his grandmother's attic 
in August. Uh, as you can imagine, this caused all manner of excitement, but it was determined to be a fake uh, by the time September rolled around. It had a real skull, but the bones were all plastic. Uh, and the skull looks like it had been a cadaver skull that was prepared for medical use or research. Yes, it was not like a dug up human remains skull. I mean, it, it wasn't it, like it his was. grandmother had a creepy situation going on in the attic. Right. She had probably acquired it through some yeah. Fairly boring means. Well, and it, it, it dates back to a time when when sort of Egypt stuff was extremely popular for yeah. people to own. That's one that uh, the the initial story of the 10 year old finding a mummy in grandma's attic made the rounds on social. And lots and lots of people were saying, hey, have you all seen this? Have you all seen this? And we did. And sadly, it, it is not a real mummy yeah. of historical importance. Uh, next up, we have several discovered graves, mass graves and otherwise. Uh, starting with in September, uh, archaeologists announced that they'd unearthed a completely sealed tomb in Italy in the Etruscan necropolis of Tarquinia. And this contained a prince holding a spear and the charred skeleton of his wife, which had some jewelry and a box, a bronze plated box nearby. The thing is, this is actually the opposite of what was really going on. The body holding the spear was female, and the charred skeleton next to it was male, which led to lots and lots of discussion about gender assumptions in the world of archaeology. All of this was about 2,600 years old, and the determination of which sex belonged to which body came after bone analysis. Uh, Sort of tangentially related, Italy's art theft police also announced that they had recovered a trove of 2nd and 3rd century BCE Etruscan artifacts in June of this year. So it was kind of a big year for Etruscan stuff. Researchers at the University of Bonn discovered a 1,400-year-old mass grave in Mexico, and this provides evidence that the Maya actually dismembered their captives. So the team found uh, the skeletons of 24 people in what was an artificial cave. And the skulls were all separated from the bodies, with the lower jaws also separated from the rest of the head. Uh, there's still very little known about who these people were or their social status or why they may have been killed. But some of them had jade tooth inserts, which suggests that they were nobles. It's a big mystery. Yeah. Uh, this year, archaeologists in Poland reported finding four skeletons from the Middle Ages while excavating for a new road. And the interesting part here was that they appear to have undergone an anti-vampire ritual before being buried. Their heads were all removed and placed between their legs. This is another example of ones we got one we got lots and lots of emails about yeah. when it happened. Uh, we just could not find enough primary source information to make a whole episode about it. Yeah, it was pr- the descriptions of the situation were pretty brief. Mm-hmm. We kind of gave you everything we know just now. Yep. In October, a team that was working in a suburb of Lima, Peru, found an undisturbed Wari tomb that contained two mummified corpses. And the bodies were those of an adult and an infant, uh, with more details to come once those bodies are unwrapped. The theory, though, is that the adult was a master weaver and the child was killed and buried in the tomb. The coolest bit of this finding, uh, the bodies are at least a thousand years old and the find is intact, uh, even though the dig site is right in a residential neighborhood. So this thousand year old, perfectly preserved thing was happening just down the street from people's houses. So these people are from the Wari civilization, which was around for about 500 years before the Inca Empire emerged. So before we move on to 
a frequently requested thing of exhumations. <laughs> Let's take a moment and have a word from our sponsor. That sounds delightful. How do you find a new way forward when suddenly you have to, ready or not? All four of my kids are grown and out of the house. And I was chucked out of a 25-year career. Super fun. Our lives have changed direction. So now what do we do? What's the first move when you have no idea where you're headed? For us, it was starting the Road to Somewhere podcast. And we still don't really know where we're going, but every one of our episodes takes us someplace a little different. It's super exciting, but if we're being honest, it can also get a little scary. Because maybe you're relocating. Or having your first baby. Or leaving a relationship. Just starting. Or just starting over. No matter what the change you're going through, the question is really the same. How do we get fearless when we feel uncertain? I'm Lisa Oz. And I'm Jill Herzig. Join us as we navigate our own big life changes on our podcast, The Road to Somewhere. Listen to The Road to Somewhere on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now we will get back to a frequent subject of listener request, and that is exhumations. So this year, Chilean poet Pablo Neruda was exhumed in April in an attempt to discover whether he was poisoned. His 1973 death certificate lists his cause of death as prostate cancer. Neruda was a member of the Communist Party, and his death came not long after a military coup brought General Augusto Pinochet into power. Neruda had criticized both the coup and Pinochet, and he had plans to go into exile the day after he died. So naturally, this led to lots and lots of questions about whether his death was from natural causes. It was also further compounded because he had told his driver that an unknown doctor had given him an injection that had made his condition worse. So six months after this exhumation, so this November, uh, Patricio Bustos, who's the director of Chilean Forensic Service, announced at a news conference that no trace of chemical was found. So it seems unlikely at this point that Pablo Neruda was poisoned. Also in the realm of discovering whether or not someone had been poisoned, Brazilian President Joao Goulart was exhumed to determine whether he had been poisoned or died of a heart attack, as was officially reported. He had died in 1976, uh, and the tests are ongoing on that one. We don't have the results yet. Our last exhumation today is Yasser Arafat. If uh, you do not recall, he was the leader of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or the PLO, And he was exhumed by French authorities last year to confirm whether his 2004 death uh, was the result of poisoning. So preliminary tests that came out in November suggest that, yes, he was poisoned with the radioactive substance polonium-210. The levels of the substance in his body were 18 times higher than normal. They had taken tissue samples both from him and from the soil that he was buried in. So according to the Swiss report that came out at that point, the results, quote, moderately support the proposition that the death was the consequence of poisoning with polonium-210. But then, on December 3rd, a French report was leaked that claimed that this elevated level was really from naturally occurring radon gas where Arafat was buried and that he was not actually poisoned. The Swiss team came back at this point and called the French findings debatable, saying that they had actually measured the radon levels in the tomb before they opened it, and they had ruled out radon as a cause of the elevated levels. It's entirely possible that this story will continue to develop, and that by the time you are listening to this, something else will have happened. This is the second time we have actually recorded the piece about about Yasser Arafat. So that story is continuing to evolve. 
And now we're moving on to, I mean, I already think like digging people up to determine if they were poisoned is pretty extreme, but Mm -hmm. this is extreme science. Super extreme science. Uh, In June, researchers from the University of Pennsylvania and the Croatian Natural History Museum published a paper in PLOS-1 detailing their discovery of the world's oldest evidence of a bone tumor. It came from the left rib of a Neanderthal who lived about 120,000 years ago. And this tumor probably came from a disease called fibrous dysplasia. And before this point, the earliest bone tumors uh, that we knew about were between 1,000 and 4,000 years old. The bone came from an excavation site, which contained the bones of at least 876 Neanderthals. And it has has not been matched uh, with any of the other bones or fragments there. So it's possible that the remains from the site were the victims of cannibalism or pre- uh, natural predation by carnivorous animals. So we don't know, but this tumor is so much older than anything we have ever seen or studied before. Yeah, and to have had to be looking through the bones of 876 different Neanderthals and before finding it. I think that one has a tumor. Yeah, well, and one of the things about this particular find is that... uh a lot of times this disease causes tumors like they're not it's not a malignancy uh but a lot of times it does cause tumors elsewhere in the body right and unless they find other bones belonging to the same body they won't be able to sort of tell uh just how present the disease was or, or how it was affecting the body physically or anything like that so cool but also uh, it almost leaves more questions <laughs> yes, than answers raising more questions uh, in October, a lot of our findings are from October this year. <laughs> in October, a team of researchers published a paper in Science that examined DNA from 364 prehistoric skeletons. And these skeletons spanned 4,000 years of early human history. What they were looking at was tiny changes in mitochondrial DNA from humans who lived between 7,500 and 3,500 years ago. So... What they found was that there were huge waves of prehistoric uh, migration among early humans. Previously, the accepted belief has been pretty much that humans migrated from the Near East into the rest of Europe. But these findings suggest that there were actually really big uh, migrations from Western and Eastern Europe as well, that it wasn't just this one unidirectional spreading of people, that there was a lot more movement going on uh, between early human groups. Uh, the next one involves airborne laser technology. So using this, uh, archaeologists found the Cambodian city of Mahendraparvada. They'd known this city existed before, but they could never pinpoint exactly where. Because the city's location was unknown until this year to the scientific community, researchers were hoping, as of the announcement that they had located it, that it had not been looted. They were just kind of praying that there was nothing going on there and that they would actually have this bounty of uh, research to be conducted. And that research is going to go on for quite some time. So they have located it and the work is sort of just beginning. Now we have a robot. Uh, a robot called Flalek 2 TC used an infrared camera and a laser scanner to help archaeologists explore the Temple of the Feathered Serpent near Mexico City this year. The team wound up finding these strange yellow spheres, and they don't currently know what they are about or what they mean. These spheres are a yellow clay that's covered with jarosite. And they had to use the robot to explore because there's this 330-foot-long tunnel running under the uh, temple that was full of debris. So a robot helped with that particular unearthing. So cool. 
this one's interesting. An airport security full body scanner, which are a little bit controversial still for some people, uh, revealed that an authentic Roman fresco is under a newer 19th century edition, uh, which is in the Louvre. Yeah. So they used that same technology to examine art instead of people and found a whole magical thing. The way that this whole discovery was billed in some of the headlines was sort of like uh, actual Roman art found under fake 19th century art. And I was like, that's a little harsh on the 19th century art that we're talking about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they they were able to prove that definitively that there is a much older piece underneath this newer piece. That's so cool. That reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you ever read the TSA blog. I highly recommend it to anybody. Um, it's also a little disturbing because you find out how many people are getting on airplanes or trying to get on airplanes with loaded weapons. But uh, they often will be like, we found 17 cannonballs this week from the Civil War. We found they often find these little odd artifacts of history. And this kind of makes me think of it. <laughs> they use similar technology to find yeah. art under art. So so that concludes our retrospective this year. A lot of what all's been unearthed. I, I'm sure that there are many, many other things. Oh yeah. That, that we could have talked about. Uh, I was, I was telling Holly this morning that when I sat down to actually wrangle all of my collected stuff into notes for this episode, normally what I do is I open all of my stuff in tabs and, and I like scrolled and scrolled and scrolled down the bookmarks until I got to the bottom. And then Firefox said, you were about to open 99 tabs. Are you sure you want to do that? So even with, yeah, we did not with exclusions. Yes, we did not talk about all 99 things. And I'm sure there are many other things besides those 99. So uh, you are welcome to write in if there are some that you would like us to either have a whole episode on or mention at some point in the future in listener mail. And I, again, do want to thank the history blog, which is where I uh, get a glimpse of a lot of these stories first. Well, and a lot of times uh, news sites will eventually pick up a history story kind of almost the same way they would a human interest story. They're like, this is a neat thing that happened. Yeah. Whereas well, history, the history blog is focused on the historical events that are coming up. Yes. So they kind of aggregate them more quickly. Well, and also a lot of times there's much better context and more important context than uh, what's going around with the headline. So cool resource. Yeah. You do not already read that. Um I have some listener mail before we sign off from this today. I hope you will read it. I will do that. Uh, this is from Brian, and Brian says, I enjoyed your podcast on smallpox. I'd like to clear up a small detail. You acted surprised that the cow Jenner used had horns. In fact, all cows and bulls have horns. Some beef breeds don't have horns because of selective breeding. Dairy cows typically don't have horns, but this is because they are removed when they are calves for the safety of other cows and people that work with them. When we dehorn cows on our dairy farm, we administer sedatives and pain medication to reduce the trauma. I just wanted to shed a little light on a part of your podcast that I knew something about. Thank you for producing an enjoyable show. So thank you, Brian. Yeah, that's cool information. It is cool. And I think I am, I am more familiar with the, with beef cow breeds that have been bred not to have horns. Uh-huh. Uh, just because they were more prevalent where I grew up. So it was surprising to me to see a cow skin still had horns on it. Uh, so thank you so much, Brian, for writing in with that clarification. If you would like to write to us about this or any other episode, you can. We are at historypodcast.discovery.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash history class stuff and on Twitter at Missed in History. 
our Tumblr is at mistinhistory.tumblr.com, and we are on Pinterest. If you would like to learn more about what we've talked about today, come to our website. Put the word archaeology in the search bar, and you will find an article called What's the Biggest Archaeological Find in History? You can do all that and a whole lot more at our website, which is howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors, and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal and they're candid and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and takeaway lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it, and I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking, and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are going to Italy. After the success of last year's trip to Paris, we are planning another similar trip, still with defined destinations, this time to Rome and Florence. Yeah, we are going to spend a week exploring some amazing things. We're going to have city tours of both Rome and Florence. We're going to see the Roman Colosseum, the Vatican Museum, and the Sistine Chapel, St. Peter's Basilica, Vatican City. This is just a tiny fraction of all the stuff we're going to get to do. Yeah, it's May 14th to 21st, 2020. And to get more information, go to defineddestinations.com and scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History class.